titled the message, Forgiveness, Forgiving Offending Brothers. And I do think it would be, uh, do us well to uh, look at some of the context of this before we get into the part that is our text. And so at, in chapter 18, beginning in verse 1, uh, this particular part uh, of the scriptures is uh, brought forth by uh, the disciples asking our Lord, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so our Lord begins talking about the kingdom of heaven. And he talks about, uh, and w- which also he does the same thing in our text in verse 23 when he tells the p- parable again, therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto. And here in the first part of the chapter, he begins to talk about a little child. Jesus called a little child, verse 2, set him in the midst, and said, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So he speaks about conversion and becoming as a little child. Uh, This would certainly, there's another section of the scripture where they brought some children to our Lord and, and some of the disciples said, don't do this. And he said, no, let the children come for of such is the kingdom of heaven. He goes on down in verse uh, 6 and he uses a phrase that he uses, I think, three times in the first uh, 14 verses. These little ones, one of these little ones. And so it's very clear that our Lord is not just speaking about children. He's speaking about believers. He's speaking about those who believe in him, who follow him, who have been converted to him. And in their conversion, they become as little children. So when he uses this, what I think is a wonderful phrase, one of these little ones, he's not talking about these little children. It can apply to that. But he's talking about believers, okay? Uh, if, uh, we don't have time to really go into it, but you go back and you look at it and you'll see this is clearly and plainly uh, what's being said here. One of these little ones that he's going to speak about might be 67 years old. That's how old I am. And I'm grateful today to be one of our Lord's little ones. Uh, in fact, when I grow up, I want to be One of God's little ones is what I want to be. And so uh, he goes on and beginning in verse 6, he talks about offending. Whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me. He uh, talks about in verse 7, woe unto the world because of offenses. And then in verse 8 and 9, he again uses the word offend. And we'll look at that more here in just a second. That word offend is the Greek word scandalizo. It's where we get our English word scandalize. Okay? And I thought the English definition was very interesting. Uh, 
The Greek definition is basically to scandalizo is to cause someone to stumble, okay? The English definition for scandalize is discredit brought upon religion by unseemly conduct in a religious person. Conduct that causes or encourages someone to have a lapse of faith or of religious obedience. So our Lord is saying that the kingdom of heaven consists of these little ones and woe to anybody that offends one of them, that causes one of them to stumble. We see in verse 10 through 14, this passage especially brings out the value of the little ones to God. How much God thanks of believers. In verse 10, take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels, I guess every, every little one has at least one angel. That's what it seems to be saying. Do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. And that is a phrase that means they're real close to God. The angels of these little ones. So take heed that you don't despise them. That you don't think lowly of them. That's what the word despise really means. It doesn't mean hate. It means to just not have much use for. Just not think very much of. Take heed that you don't do this. He goes on in verse 11 and talks about the Son of Man came to save that which was lost. And he talks about going after the lost sheep. God's sheep are very valuable to him, very dear to him. You know, one of the things I always fear is if somebody messes with one of my kids. You know, they can mess with me, and I usually have grace to turn the other cheek or, you know, don't worry about it. I certainly have learned to not worry about what people say about me. But boy, I've always, I've always been afraid, you know. They mess with one of my kids. Oh, Lord, you'll really have to give me grace then, you know, because my kids are dear to me. Well, God's kids are dear to him. He goes on down in verse 14 and brings this out even more. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Okay? Let me go ahead and say this here. When we offend a little one when we cause a believer in Christ offense to stumble we're working counter to God because what God's doing is he's saving that person he's going to save him and yet it's very real y'all y'all have learned that the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man go together okay Somebody told me the other day, well, you know, Arminianism, they teach the responsibility of man while Calvinism teaches the sovereignty of God. And so what we need to be is we need to take... I said, oh, no. I said, both of them teach concepts of both things, but they just don't teach them rightly. But true Calvinism, the Bible, Scripture, the truth, 
is that the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man go hand in hand. And so even though God's going to make sure one of these little ones doesn't stumble and fall away, for good anyway, he's going to make sure they don't perish. Uh, it is a serious offense to cause a little one to stumble. And we'll see more about what that means here in a minute. So the evil and danger of offending a believer. So how does a believer offend another believer, a little one? Well, verse 15 and notice he's, he's talking about little children, believers, becoming as children. And then he talks about offending one of these believers and the seriousness of that. And so then in verse 15, he proceeds, Moreover, if your brother shall trespass against thee. So clearly we have to understand that you offend a little one if you sin against them. And, you know, there's lots of ways to sin against a fellow believer. I mean, just uh, it, all kinds of ways to do that, you know. Gossip about them, slander them, uh, cheat them, uh, you know, all kinds of ways. Lie about them, whatever it is. Uh, go up and spit in their face, I guess, you know. I mean, there's lots of different ways. And so, clearly, our Lord, it, it's right there. Trespass against thee, a personal injury against another believer, okay? And our Lord is saying, if you as a believer have another believer who personally injures you, here's what you need to do. So that, that's clear. But I think the context clearly shows it means more than that, Okay? We offend other believers, and this is especially, I'm not saying it's limited to this, but it is it's clearly, this is the context of the whole passage. It's in a local fellowship, okay? It, you know, it, uh, it, it doesn't have a whole lot of application to brethren in Chicago, okay? I mean, you know, I don't go to Chicago. I don't know anybody in Chicago, but, but you know, it's it's it. Clearly, mainly it's talking about in a local fellowship, okay? And we offend a little one when, when we sin, period. Now, what kind of sin? We, I mean, you know, as the brothers brought out, even us saved sinners, you know, we're saints, but as... What is a saint? He's a saved sinner. You know, we sin every day. We have to repent every day. Uh, that's not what he's talking about, okay? He's not talking about uh, private sins, and he's not talking about petty stuff. He's not, he's not talking about, uh, uh, you know, sister so-and-so didn't smile at me this morning. Uh, you know, she sinned. Oh, no, come on. That's taken care of. The way we deal with each other's quirks, and, and no, no doubt, sometimes I'm not pleasant around people 
And in one sense, it's a sin, but don't hold that against me. You know, if I don't smile, especially if I was in a local fellowship, you know, if this was my fellowship, you know, if I don't smile every Sunday, bear with me. There's, the Bible talks about long-suffering and forbearing. That's, that's the way we deal with those, those type of things. Clearly, this use of the word offend is talking about a scandalous sin, okay? A notorious sin, a significant sin. And when we commit a scandalous sin, a significant sin. In other words, if you come into the church this morning, into your local fellowship, and you don't smile, nah. But if you come in here and you see brother so-and-so and for some reason you cuss at him, or let's just say you just cuss as you come in and let out a string of expletives, whoa, that's a different story. You know, when I was first converted, I was working for the telephone company down in Athens, Texas. And I was an idiot. I was converted when I was 20 years old. 21 years old. And I was crazy and was a mess. I was on the construction crew. And God saved me. And, uh, man, I mean, it, and he, he saved me and changed me and and, I, and, and my behavior on that job changed. And anyway, they, they put me on a... I'd been on the high line crew, and I was a, a lineman, and they gave me this machine that, that laid cable. And I went out by myself, and I looked at the diagram, and I did what I thought I was supposed to do. And I'm out there. I hadn't been saved but about maybe two or three weeks, maybe a month. And man, this guy comes rearing up out there in East Texas and pulls up and jumps out of that vehicle. And man, he is cussing me up one side and down another. He's a, he's a county road commissioner. And, and somehow I messed up on that diagram and I, I, I dug a hole where I wasn't supposed to. And man, he was letting it fly. And I'm just sitting there, you know. And uh, he gets through and he goes and calls the company on me. But anyway, I'm, I'm still there, and there's an old man that was in the house right over there. He comes over to the fence, old East Texas man, and he goes, Yeah, I saw that. He said, You know that guy? I said, Well, no, I don't know him. He says, He's a deacon there at that Baptist church. He's a deacon. I hadn't been saved but two or three weeks, and I thought, Really? Wow, what is that? Now, that didn't cause me to stumble. But it sure did cause me to swallow real hard, uh, wondering what in the world, that type of thing. It wasn't that he didn't smile at me, he cussed me. And that's the kind of sin that's being talked about here. And when you do that, and you don't repent, and I might, I think I can take the liberty to say, you don't wait too long to repent. You are in danger of offending a little one. Okay? You're in danger of doing that. When we sin, one of those scandalous sins, we discourage our fellow believers in their own walk with God and in their own war against sin 
and we encourage our fellow believers to sin. Yes, we do. We don't, we're not islands. We influence each other. We're either influencing each other for the good or for the bad, and that's especially true in a local fellowship. All right. Adding to that, we can offend a little one by failing to address offenses. If, I don't know this brother, so, but if this brother here walks in on a Sunday morning and starts cussing, and y'all don't do anything, you are in danger of offending a little one. You, in essence, are saying it's okay for him to act like that, even though he's a professor of Christ. Yeah. Yeah, if we, if we know of a brother, especially in a fellowship, and again, it may have some application to outside the fellowship, but it's really talking about, you know, a group of people who are going together. And we know that this person is committing a scandalous sin or has committed one and has not repented. If we see him out on a Saturday night and he's drunk as Cooter Brown and we don't do anything, we're in danger of offending one of these little ones. Secondly, our uh, that passage, and please go and read the whole thing later. Can't take time to do it right now, but if we don't deal with it rightly, we can offend by not dealing with it. We can offend by dealing wrongly with it, the wrong way. And that's what he's talking about in verses 15 through 20 is how to rightly deal with a fellow believer's sin. Okay? Right and wrong way to deal with it. You go one-on-one -on -one to that brother and you address him. If that doesn't work, you get a couple of more brothers to go with you. Not just so that they might hear, that's part of it, but to make sure that everything's recorded. <laughs> okay? There's witnesses. So that it can't get all mixed up, you know, how things go. His word against your word type stuff. And then if they won't, if this brother doesn't hear them, then you take it to the church. And if the, they don't hear the church, you're to treat them as an unbeliever. Okay, they're not a believer. You don't treat them, you, you disfellowship them is what you do. That's what's being said here. Now I want you to notice too, because this is important, that one of the, at the very heart of our dealing rightly with an offending brother is our dealings is to gain him. That's our motive, is to restore him. It's not to browbeat him. It's not to put the screws on him. It's not to, 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 to set him right, you know, put him in their place. It's to... Restore them. That's at the very heart. It's in verse 15. 
Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he shall hear you, you have gained. You've won. You've brought him out of whatever the sin is. Okay? By, by confronting it. Now, I want you to notice that our... Well, first of all, let me, let me quote Galatians 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual restore, and that word means correct. It's the same word that's used uh, of the disciples mending their nets. Okay? Fixing, helping, healing. Such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And let me just say something. Every true believer, if they're sober, <laughs> I don't mean sober Christianly sober, if they're, if they're walking in the gospel, uh, they, they understand I could do that or something similar. Okay? And unless you understand that, you're not going to be much useful. It's going to be hard to gain. Okay, it's going to be hard to gain. A brother, if you come at him as if, you know, now, you know, you did something that I would never, ever do, you know, so let me, let me straighten you out. I had a good brother down in uh, Houston. He told this story. He had a mother-in-law who was real religious and real self-righteous. And they had uh, his mother-in-law, his wife's mother, and the, uh, the uncle, her brother, was a notorious drunkard. Okay? He was a drunkard. And they were all sitting around one day, and they got talking about Uncle Harry. And she said, well, he ought to just repent like I did. You know, I repented. I had some things wrong, and I, I just repented. And that's what he needs to do is he just needs to repent. And of course, he did need to repent, but boy, the way she was talk, coming at it. And old Brother Rudolph, as he was prone to do, he looked at her and said, well, why don't you just right now repent of your self-righteousness? And he said that ended the conversation right there. So, you know, uh, as a believer, we ought to understand that we are subject to any sin. You remember that? fell in the Old Testament and the prophet goes up to him and starts crying, starts weeping. And that guy says, what is wrong with you? Why are you doing that? He said, because I'll tell you, you're going to rip open women. You're going to kill babies. You're going to do all. He says, well, man, I'd never do anything like that. What are you, who are you, you must be talking to the wrong fella, you know. I wouldn't do that. Sure enough, not too long after that, that's exactly what he did. The failure to address believers who are snared in some sin can be a failure on the personal level and or it can be a failure on the corporate level. Believers who witness other believers sinning and fail to seek to gain back their brother or sister sin against that sinning brother and against the local church. And a church that fails to practice proper church discipline sins against the brethren, against all of the little ones. Indeed, to fail to seek to gain back a sinning brother is to set yourself at odds against God and Christ.
Now, jump on to verse 21, our first verse of our text. Peter has been listening to this discourse on becoming like children, little ones, offending, and how to properly deal with... Oh, and, and by the way, uh, before I get there, look at verses 8 and 9. If your right hand or your foot offends you, cut them off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. This is part of why I say that simply the sin is an offense. It doesn't have to be against you. That brother may come in here and cuss and not be mad at you at all. He may smile at you, but he cusses somebody else. He hadn't trespassed against you, but he has offended you. Okay? So simply the sin, if you'll see that in verse 8, wherefore if your hand or foot causes you to sin, to, that's, that's what offenses do to little ones. It can cause little ones to sin. And we could, we could talk more about that, but we need to move on. Now verse 21, Peter's been listening to all this. And out of this, Peter says... Then came Peter to him, notice that then, right then, and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? So Peter clearly understood that this teaching on addressing a brother's sin involved forgiving the sinning brother. At the very heart of how one, whether that one is an individual or a church, Addresses and deals with a sinning brother is the issue of forgiveness. By the way, you know, I, I probably ought to say this in case somebody doesn't know this. I was asked to preach on this passage, okay? So don't think I'm some kind of prophet, okay? <laughs> you know, maybe I should have kept my mouth shut, you know, and you ought to have gone out here and go, oh, wow. You know, I was asked to preach on it, okay? And, uh, and since I'm here, first to serve God, but also to serve the church, it wasn't my prerogative to say, no, I got my own message. And I did. I had another message already prepared. But, you know, I said, yeah, okay. You know, if, that, if, if you think that'll help the church, then I'll gladly preach. And I don't know any of the issues. I don't know nothing. I'm like Schultz. I know nothing, okay? I don't know a thing, except that there's something going on in, in, in this realm. That, that's basically all I know and, and probably don't want to know anymore. Don't, I don't need to know, you know. Okay, that brings us to our passage in this issue of forgiveness. First point, all of our forgiving our brother's sins is based upon God's forgiveness of us in, through, and by the gospel. How marvelous is God's forgiveness. It is absolutely astounding. It's flabbergasting. It's amazing. And, and, and we talked about marvelous grace, and of course it's, it, forgiveness is a product of grace, but the forgiveness itself is marvelous. In this parable, God is the gracious and forgiving king, and you know about parables, and that's what he's telling here. This is a parable. He doesn't say a parable, but he, he, he says it's likened to, okay? 
and uh, nearly all the commentators agree this is, this is a parable. And you understand that these little stories, these parables, you don't break them down to minute details. They've got some main thrust, okay? And the main thrust of this parable is about the need to forgive a sinning brother who repents, okay? And so, but in this parable, we can break it down this far, God is the gracious and forgiving king, and we are the forgiven servant who is responsible for dealing with our fellow servants. Notice the Lord, the king, when he heard of how the servant dealt with his fellow servant, didn't say, well, that's not my business. I'm not worried about it. Oh, no. Oh, no, he really took this personally and seriously. And so we are responsible as forgiven sinners. We're responsible on how we deal especially with our fellow believers, with our fellow servants of God. All of our forgiveness of our brother's sins is based upon God's forgiveness of us. As believing sinners. Matthew 18, 27. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion. God is moved with. Isn't that, don't you like that? Well, I like that. Moved with compassion. God is, is moved with compassion. And so should we. Psalm 78, speaking of God, says, He being full of compassion forgave their iniquity. Psalm 86, verse 5, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy to all that call upon you. That ready to forgive. Anxious, I believe. I believe it's saying he, he's, he's, he's ready. He's, he's just waiting. He's just waiting for repentance. And he wants to forgive. He's not... He's not, well, I think about it. Maybe. We'll see. Oh, no. Boy, he's ready to forgive. God, notice in verse 21 also, this is not here by accident. God sovereignly had Peter ask this question. And then he answered it right here in this context. And this is a wonderful verse. I don't know about y'all, but I'm glad God put this in the Bible. Or I'd be, I don't know what I'd be. How many times? Boy, you ever had, the, had your own conscience and perhaps the powers of darkness? Perhaps somebody else. You know, you, for, you commit a sin that you've committed before. I don't want to say how many times. I don't think our Lord was counting seven times. Seven times, what did, he, what did he say? Seventy times seven, and I don't think he was multiplying it out. And, you know, you've had your own conscience, powers of darkness perhaps. You know, you, you, you think God's going to forgive you again? You know, again? Well, isn't that wonderful? How many times? Seven times? I, I think Peter thought he'd been pretty good in that Pharisaical society there. I think he was thinking, well, I'm going to be a real 
I'm, I'm going to get a brownie point here. Maybe I'm the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you know. Uh, I'm the top disciple here because I'm going to say seven times. Isn't that being gracious? Our Lord says, I'm not telling you seven times. Seventy times seven. Verse 24. This man owed that king 10,000 talents. I don't know how much a talent is, but 10,000 of anything is a bunch to me. Okay? God forgives. He freely forgives many sins. Yes, repeated sins. And he forgives big sins. Scandalous sins about two chapters later we have a scandal don't we comes to the fellowship the, the, the dinner on the grounds comes right into the middle of dinner on the grounds and it's a scandal she's a prostitute she's a known woman of the street and the old Pharisee, the old five-point Calvinist, reformed brother who's got all his T's crossed and all his I's dotted and can, can, can quote you the 1689 confession frontwards and backwards. He says, oh, well, he must be having an off day or he'd know who that was. Well, she was, she'd, she'd evidently earned quite a reputation and yet our Lord freely forgave her scandalous her sin was scandalous and yet our Lord didn't blink an eye didn't hesitate freely thy sins are forgiven go in peace your faith has made you whole Matthew, wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. Scandalous sins included. Listen to this verse in Corinthians. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Our forgiveness is based upon God's forgiveness. Ephesians, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as in the same way that God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And then in Colossians, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Now let me make a couple of comments under this first point, that our forgiveness is based upon God's. And I'll, I'll just briefly make this. But in the kingdom of heaven, and I don't have time to, to go through all this, but in the kingdom of heaven... We're all servants, every one of us. And in one sense, that's all we are. 
That's all we are. We're God's servants. Listen to this. Listen to this passage. Who are you that judges another man's servant? This is out of Romans. Paul is saying, who are you to judge God's servant? Now, he's addressing a particular issue there that we're not going to go into. But I want you to just enter into that verse. Who are you to judge God's servant? He, they're not your servant. They're God's servant. Now, I know in a sense we're the servants of each other. I know that's a sense. But that only comes under the first thing, which is we're all the servants of God. And we all rise and fall before God. Okay? Now, our own passage here, our text, plus in Corinthians, Paul gives the balancing truth to that. What have I to do to judge them that are without, but do not you judge them that are within? He's talking about this very issue that's being addressed here in Matthew chapter 18. So we, we do have to judge the brethren but we need to understand when we do that are they answerable to us yes yeah we are we're answerable that's part of being a covenanted fellowship whether you actually have a covenant or not you're covenanted fellowship committed to one another and answerable to one another but only under that issue of that first and foremost we're answerable to God. We need to understand that when we deal with each other. Secondly, forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel message to sinners. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, the psalmist says. And then Paul, in the middle of his talking about the gospel, in Romans chapter 4, when he's dealing with that great subject of righteousness that comes by faith, the justification by faith alone without works when he's dealing with Abraham as being the father of faith and he's dealing with the gospel there, he quotes that psalm. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. We know that word covered is a word that's tied right into the heart of the gospel. Okay? Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. That's all a quote out of Psalms. Impute is a gospel. Right at the heart of the gospel. Right at the heart of the doctrine of justification by faith. Imputed righteousness. God imputes our sins to Christ and he imputes Christ's righteousness to us. That's at the heart of the gospel. But right there with it is the issue of forgiveness. Peter, I mean, uh, not Peter, I believe it was... Anyway, in the book of Acts, I think it's Peter, Paul. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Christ Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. There, there Paul just says, he, he, he gives a short phrase for, for the gospel, forgiveness of sins. What is the gospel? Forgiveness of sins. Um, in Acts 26, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. In the Ephesians, it says, in whom Christ we have redemption through his blood, 
the, what is redemption through his blood? The forgiveness of sins. And the King James translators, I think, helped us out because in Colossians, in case somebody was saying, well, yeah, but, you know, the forgiveness of sins is not what redemption is. Well, Paul said it in Ephesians 1.14. He said it was, 1.7, he said it was. But in Colossians, the King James translators helped us a little bit. In whom we have redemption through his blood even. It's not in the original. It's a little italic-sized word in your King James Bible. Even the forgiveness of sins. Now, we know that that's not all it is. And we know that there can be no forgiveness of sins apart from atonement, apart from justification. But what I'm telling you is forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel. Let me just go ahead and make some application of that. You profess to be a believer in the gospel and yet you don't have a forgiving heart? Hmm. Something ain't right. And we need to understand that such forgiveness, this wonderful forgiveness is not, not contrary to or in any wise inconsistent with righteousness and holiness. God's are ours. There's forgiveness with thee, the psalmist says, in order that thou mayest be feared. Paul said after he gave those wonderful chapters from, from the middle of chapter 3, through chapter 5 on justification, he starts off chapter 6. You know, he's just said in chapter uh, 5 where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And then he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Free. Free and full forgiveness by God and by us is not inconsistent with righteous and holiness of God or of our living in righteousness and holiness. It's not sloppy. Not anything sloppy about it. In dealing with and addressing our own sins, we must, must do so in the light of the gospel. You've learned that yourself, haven't you? I used to have a man at the prison who came to my office every day. And he got when he walked in the door, I'd go. I learned how to preach the gospel to him because listening to him, if I didn't preach the gospel to him, I would be as lower than a skunk as he was. And he used to come in our meetings and he slithered up under the back door and slithered into the chair. I told him to do that. I said, just crawl in and crawl into the chair. He had such a profound sense of his sin and of his wickedness that it just ate him up. And there wasn't but one answer to that for him and for me. Because when he'd come in, he'd remind me of my own sin. And the only answer is Christ and him crucified. I've done some things in my life and I'm very ashamed of it, even as a Christian. And I've had some other professing Christians and some that weren't professing Christians. You know, there's plenty of self-righteous people. I, I used to ride a motorcycle a lot, and those motorcycle people are as self-righteous as any good church member is. 
And uh, I had some people that were just couldn't come to grips with the fact that God forgave me. And I had to tell them, well, go take it up with God. I don't blame you. I had trouble believing in myself. We have to deal with sin in the light of the gospel, whether it's our sin or somebody else's sin. It's the only way we can do it. So that brings us to the main point of our text. Our being forgiven by God is based upon our forgiving others. Now that's, that certainly seems what it's being said, isn't it? I mean, the whole parable, look at verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your heart forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. And that passage there out of uh, Matthew uh, 6, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Well, let me read. I've got several commentators, but let me read the best one by Alexander McLaren's comment on this. Uh, Calvin makes some good comments, and, and, and he basically says, we don't earn God's forgiveness by going out and forgiving everybody. Okay? You know, if we had to do that, we'd be have as many stairs to climb as Luther did, okay, trying to get forgiveness. That's not what's being said there. We, we interpret one part of the Bible by all of the Bible. And so the Bible's not saying here that, that God says, well, I forgive you when you go take care of all the people that you've sinned against and, 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 or who have sinned against you and you forgive them. No, 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 no. And Calvin makes a good comment on that. So does John uh, Broadus, the Baptist Broadus. But here's Alexander McLaren. In a very real sense, our forgiving is the condition of our being forgiven. We are accustomed to hear that faith and repentance are conditions of receiving the divine forgiveness. And it is. God doesn't forgive anybody that doesn't repent. God's no fool. Okay? you got to repent. So in one sense, we got to forgive or we're not going to be forgiven. I mean, he says that. No way around it. But the very same disposition, state of mind, state of heart, which when directed towards God, God forgive me, produces faith and repentance, that same disposition when directed to men produces a forgiving temper. A deep sense of my own unworthiness and of having no ground of right to stand on will surely lean me to be lenient and placable to others. We cannot cut our lives into halves and be inwardly filled with contrition and outwardly full of assertion of our rights. We cannot plead with God to do for us what we will not do for others. Our prayer for forgiveness must, if it is real, influence our whole behavior, and if it is not real, it will not be answered. The possession of God's forgiveness McLaren says, will make us forgiving. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You, you've run into people, you've probably been this way yourself, who wants to put the screws on people. Well, I come up here to Dallas, and I want to put the screws on everybody that drives. <laughs> oh, that idiot! Boy, I hope he gets a ticket! 
you know, uh, when I'm in my right mind, I catch myself. I repent. When I'm in my gospel mind, when I'm cognizant of my own sin, when I rehearse the fact that I've done some things. Today, I, ran, I stopped it at um, Waxahachie and ate. I never got on this particular side road, and I got going. I went right through a stop sign. I mean, I didn't just, I mean, I went, oh, my. And I thought all the people are saying, that idiot. He's from East Texas. He doesn't know what a stop sign is. Seriously. If and when a sinner comes to grip with their own sins, and certainly God's people ought to walk in that, and their own need of God's mercy and grace, then said sinner will become merciful to other fellow sinners. Such is inevitable, and it must be inevitable. And, and both Broadus and uh, Calvin comment on this. This is the real test of our faith, as well as an instruction to inform us in our daily living. This, this teaching that we must forgive others or we will not be forgiven. Dramatically, dramatic way of saying it. That's the way our Lord said it. Uh, first thing it does, if we don't find ourselves doing that, and when we don't do it, repenting, we need to question whether we're converted or not. Yeah. And the other thing it does, it tells us that this is the way we got to be. We're to walk in this. We're to walk in this. It's the, it's the issue of brokenness before God. You know what it means to be broken? It doesn't mean to boo-hoo, although I think there will be some boo-hooing. But I've seen people boo-hoo that weren't broken, and I've seen people broken that weren't boo-hooing. God saves broken people. You know what it means to be broke? It means you don't work. You don't work right. You're a screw-up. You mess things up. You fail and you are a failure. That's what we are. That's what we are. We're losers. All of God's little ones are losers. That's why we believe. You know how God brings a man to faith? Takes everything away from him. Takes all of his faith in himself away from him. He ain't got nothing left but to believe in Jesus Christ. That's what's being said here. The very essence of true saving faith, Christ's uniting faith, is brokenness. This man in this parable, if we wanted to break it down, maybe we shouldn't, but if we wanted to and analyze it further, he didn't understand his debt, and he didn't understand the forgiveness of that debt, did he? He missed it. He didn't get it. God freely forgives, but let me tell you, he's going to cause you to come to grips with your sinfulness initially and then continually. Boy, God's had me in the ringer since last August, and I just keep finding out things about myself, and they're not pleasant things. And it's just like God just turns the heat up, and here stuff starts coming out, and I go, Lord. But, you know, it's been good. It's been good. It causes me to believe in Christ. I don't have anything else to believe in. And that's the way we have to deal 
with our brother's sin if he's repentant. I don't need to go into that. Clearly, clearly, you don't. The man has to be, at least as far as we can determine, and he has to show that he repents. We're not to be fools either. So, just, and I, I'm just about done. What does it mean to forgive? Well, again, our text brings out the basic meaning. It means to loosen somebody. Okay? Loosen them. Take away the offense. Especially we're talking about relationships. That offense stands between me and that person. You know, have you ever have you ever sinned against your wife? I find that the, the most sinning I do is against my wife. That's because I've lived with her for 45 years. I ain't lived with nobody else like that. And, you know, I'll, I'll offend her, usually with something I say. Sometimes I don't know what it is. I have to go find out, but sometimes I know exactly what it is. And I don't feel easy with her. I feel awkward. There's a barrier. There, there's something between us. I can't. Uh, uh, my wife and I, and we've gone through a lot of troubles. But I want to tell you, we got a wonderful relationship. And we like each other. And we, we do everything together. She would have been here today, but uh, she, she couldn't uh, because of the illness. But, uh, and when there's this barrier... And I'll go to her and I'll say, please forgive me. And sometimes she's very free and very communicative and, and I know it. But other times I have to go to her and go to her. Or sometimes it's just because my sin was so grievous. And maybe it's the same blooming one I've done over and over and over and over. And so I'm, I'm having a hard time. And so I go and I say, forgive me. Forgive me. What it, why am I doing that? Because I, I want that thing gone. I want that, that thing between us. I want it gone, and it's, it's my offense. And the only way to get it gone and to restore the relationship is to forgive. And what that means is I don't hold it over you anymore. We do keep score in a right way. If this brother comes into the church and starts cussing, I'm going to mark it down on the score pad. And I'm going to go right straight to him and I'm going to say, whoa, what's going on, man? What's happening? Let's get this deal with. But what forgiveness does is it erases the score. It's gone. It's gone. It's not there anymore. That's what forgiveness does. He loosens you from the debt. You know what it is when you paid off something and they stamp it with paid in full. It's gone. It's no longer there. It's paid off. Now, we can't forgive like God does in that sense. He is to be our model. We are to forgive like he does, but we can't, we can't justify men. We can't forgive men's sins against God as such, but we can forgive like God does our fellow believing sinner. We, we can freely and we can erase and we can say, it's over with. It's gone. 
Now, does that mean we as individuals never think about it anymore? Does that mean the person forgiven never thinks about it? We don't. We can't do that. We, don't, we can't control that as such. But it means we deliberately refuse to hold that against that person anymore. We freely loosen them from that offense. And that restores them in fellowship with us. It's a wonderful thing, God's forgiveness. And we certainly, if we say we're believers in the gospel, we should be. And, and, and you say, what if a person doesn't repent? We ought to be ready to forgive. You can't forgive without repentance. But we ought to want to. You know, I'm, I'm a big southerner, okay? I think the South should have won the war, and I think all the nonsense that's being said about it is a bunch of BS and all that kind of stuff. But uh, with that said, and I have problems sometimes with Yankees, but with that said, they won't repent, so I can't forgive them for what they did, but I want to. As soon as they repent, I'll forgive them. And I won't talk bad about the Yankees anymore, okay? Seriously. It has to be repentance. And once there's repentance, full forgiveness. But even over a brother that won't repent, our desire, we're ready to forgive. And we need to manifest that with an offending brother, even if he refuses to repent. And we have to treat him even if we have to church, discipline him, even if we have to disfellowship him, our attitude should be we want to see you come to repentance because we want to forgive you. We want you restored. We want to gain you. We want to see the whole thing healed up because that's the way God is. If you would bow with me for prayer. Father, we thank you for this part of your word that manifests the, the gospel. What good news it is to us sinners that there's a God full of compassion, ready to forgive. And because of that which you did through Christ, you can forgive and be righteous still. And Lord, we can be a forgiving people, and yet a people who does not, does not wink at sin, but who deals with our own sin first. And then in a proper and right way, we deal with our brethren when they are overtaken in a fault or when they have scandalously sinned or something of that nature. So God, we pray you would help us to manifest you in all that we do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.